Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And indeed it is, and all kinds of wild and wonderful characters. One thinks about gardeners as, you know, those blue rinse brigade who potter around in the back garden and do all kinds of like perennials and annuals and messing around with pruning and really, you know, they haven't got much else to do. Some of us, however, have made it our lives. And we're maybe a little bit eccentric on occasions, but I wouldn't say that we're particularly strange. And there are so many younger people that are coming in. And uh, we I think some of us only came into gardening a little bit later. Some people started a lot earlier. Now, somebody who I've met amongst my travels and along his travels is uh, what I once termed in one of the gardening magazines, the Indiana Jones of the plant world. And we're talking to Judd Kirkle Wellwich. <laughs> Why that name, Judd? Well, but it's quite simple. It was the first plant that riveted me when I saw it in the wild. It was just such an experience. If you've never seen uh, the plant, mm. Wawitschia, which was named after Frederick Karl von Wawitsch, an Austrian botanist who found it just in his travels, you know, in like 500 years ago or something. Mm. And uh, you can just imagine how he felt when he saw that for the first time, you know. And then as time progresses and you see a plant like that, you build your knowledge on what this plant is about. And then it was only years afterwards that I realized it was an underground tree. And it grows in this desert, which is the oldest evolved desert on the planet. We're talking about the Namib. Yes, yes. So um, to actually see this plant in that environment and to realize that for millions of years this is how it's been even without humans you know um it's just an incredible plant but the well which is the one that it it kind of crawls around the desert doesn't it yes yes Yes. um so when i when i googled his name this amazing botanist who found it he was uh he's got a a double-barreled name called frederick cole von joseph Wellwich, and my middle name was joseph so I decided to hijack his name, but I changed it. <laughs> I changed it without the S. So it was well witch as if I'm a, a, a witch that provides people with wellness. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that, that's quite a story, but okay. where, what, where did your story begin? I mean, what, when did you become interested in plants and why? Okay. It started very young. I remember going to the library at school that played a big part when I was in primary school. It was a refuge where I could go and look at books, pictures, not necessarily read, but just escape into a book. And nature was ex- excited me in books. It wasn't reading fiction or anything like that. It was seeing pictures of people in the books, drawings of kids with nets, catching mm-hmm. butterflies, looking in the pond. And I think my mother was a nature person at heart as well. So she kind of edged me on with all that. But mm-hmm. I remember reading books always so i would retreat into these books when we'd go for like lunch with the family on a saturday and straight off the lunch i'd head to someone's library and just go through the books Mm. and that was how it started and then i think i took it from the books as i got older i took it from the books and i i landed up uh, applying that to going out into nature before even realizing that South Africa is the best country to do this in, really, on the planet. There isn't a better country. This is the most amazing country. Well, we have two unique, or not completely unique, we have one unique biome, 
in the Feinbos biome, and we also have the uniqueness of our grasslands, where, I mean, we have some species of not grasses specifically, because it's only like one out of every 10 plants in a grassland is actually a grass. Um, exactly. so, so we have some amazing stuff. And I mean, for those of you who don't know, I mean, Judd has traveled around the country and I have been on little walks with him here and there. And we need to organize some more of these because they are absolutely amazing yeah. for anybody who's listening to this. Um, even just to down to Sekabos Runt and going for a walk and learning how to find plants, which is why I call you a plant hunter. But there's more of a reason for that. But we will get that in, into that in a moment. So did you actually study botany? Did you study horticulture? What did you study? Okay, I studied horticulture. And uh, then I went to live overseas for a while. And then I came back and completed a national diploma because at the time um, you couldn't really study for gardening as such mm. until they developed the new course in Pretoria. Uh, at the, it was the new Mountain View campus at the time. And then it was a newly installed uh, 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 course that they had. Uh, you could do landscape design, horticulture and parks and recreation management, which mm. was a huge new opening at university level for kids that were interested in nature that didn't want to follow a business plan or any other corporate kind of plan. This was like a way to be creative and avoid that. Mm. <laughs> well, this is something I keep on saying to kids. I mean, you know, I read a, an article um, just this morning where it was saying that food prices in the future, and it was put out by a big company overseas um, that are looking, food prices are going to be going up astronomically because people are not getting into, I mean, you have your farmers and obviously in South Africa, being a farmer is fraught with all kinds of things, but people are not getting into growing their own, except if you're kind of seen as Northern suburbs, mommies who wants to have a vegetable garden, which rivals the one of your next door neighbor. Um, but I think more people are starting to look at it and thinking we need to become self-sufficient. So having those courses available to people, and I keep saying to kids, get into it, get into food production. That is where the future is going to be. If you become one of those people, then you might actually yeah. kind of have a, a good job for the future. And because gardening became very popular in the kind of the late 90s, early 2000s with people like Dermot Gavin and doing all of the TV shows. And it was seen as a very sexy thing to do. But now it seems to have been there's a drop off in people studying horticulture. Have you found that as well? Well, well, well I agree with you. There's definitely a move to, it, it's evolved. It, mm. it started as a decorative art. Um, and I think England and the Chelsea Flower Show and everything has, has shown us that just to look at something pretty and be decorative is was important in those mm. days to surround yourself with beauty, but it's definitely evolved and it's evolved in my eye. I've seen the evolution just from the sidelines, but it's evolved into this awareness of the planet, food production, empowering yourself. And if we look at even us as Africans, I think it's an amazing thing to be driving in the middle of nowhere, which is what I do. Mm. And I will even look over people's yards or their fences and I will see fruit trees and I will see banana trees and I will see stuff that people have been doing for a while. Even mm. while we were all decorative gardening, people were conscious about food production, even for themselves. And I think you read headlines like South America has uh, a country has now is going to be totally independent from the world. They're going to provide their whole food production for that country. Mm. I think us as Africans have a lesson to learn out of that because I think we're going to do it, but individually, we're not going to be a country that provides for everyone like that. We're going to actually just do it for ourselves, each and every person. And I think that's going to empower us. That That's kind of the way I see the future in a way. That will mm. empower us to ha have our own sustenance and not rely on importing 
foods from around the world and whatever, we can we can do it ourselves. No, absolutely. I mean, there's no yeah. reason we can't be growing everything in this country on our own. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. We've got the best weather, so yeah. there's yeah. no excuse. We And the best thing packaged by the sun is the skin on fruit. You can't beat that packaging. Oh, let's talk about packaging. packaging. I was yeah. just thinking about that this morning as well. And I was eating an orange and thinking there was one store where they took the oranges, took the peels off and then put it inside a plastic bag. <laughs> And then put it on the shelf. And I'm sitting and thinking, what are you doing? I mean, this is completely crazy. But it's so nice to know that there are people who are out there and trying to bring back the older varieties of various vegetables and indigenous varieties as well. Not that we have a lot in the way of that, but we're talking about ndumbi and also like rainbow African corn, those kind of things. But yours yeah. is not so much on the side of production. I mean, for you, I know the little bright turquoise Morris Minor, which drives around the country at five kilometers an hour looking for plants. That is your thing. And I mean, if you look at your list, you're on the Rose Growers Society, the Succulent Society. Is there any society of plants in South Africa you're not actually involved in? Well, at at one stage, I was involved, like you say, with a a number of um, societies. And what I found was it's a great way to introduce yourself into a group of plants, to try and find your passion in a way, Mm. because if you try and spread yourself, which is what I did without finding the, the, the niche as such, it, it, it's hell of a vast. And I, funny enough, I mean, I have to say, I did kind of, I have pulled it off because I haven't gone back to just focusing on one group of plants, but it's extremely difficult. But my suggestion for anyone who would like to follow and to keep up with what's happening with South African flora is to get interested in one group at a time. Otherwise, it's extremely overwhelming. And then once you've kind of mastered that group, you'll have the, the passion to, and the drive to follow the next one. Do you think that succulents are probably the easiest one? Because whenever I'm working, I have people, mainly the millennial people coming in and they're all interested in buying succulents, maybe because they don't have to look after them that much and they, they're kind of quite easy to grow. I think I think a lot of the the time it is yeah you, you're definitely correct there but it, it's about awareness of water it's uh, there's so many other things mm. but not the easiest group to answer your question but it's definitely the most interesting group mm. there's no doubt about it because uh, in terms of the world we have the best succulent plants on the planet there is no other country other than Madagascar that even remotely Rivals compares to have. us and Madagascar is still Africa for me so well, of course it yeah, is yeah so <laughs> there's, there's not other place okay so so, wh- so where did you start and where would you suggest people actually do start so is to get interested either you can do it two ways you can either get interested by region so mm-hmm. let's say you come from Swaziland or you come from Venda you can actually educate yourself about your own flora because I think this whole country should be a national park I mean there is flowers everywhere mm. and wherever you see development I kind of see you know, you know, you know, another piece of the, another corner of the of the the planet is 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 populated with uh, you know amazing amazing flora. So yes. you, you know, every every nook and cranny. It's not like you have to go anywhere. So if you if you start per region, that would be fantastic. If you are interested in a group of plants like aloes, orchids grasses, wildflowers, then then start on a group mm. and then let that take you around the country to different spots and then and then you'll you'll have started, which is a great place to be to so, make a start because you're never gonna end. You're gonna start. So <laughs> I keep on thinking you're, 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 you're going end, around yeah. the country. Now I know you've gone around the country. <laughs> so where did your journey start when you decided to go out and start looking for plants, specific plants, things that people haven't seen before? Okay, How old up. were you then? Okay. It really hit, hit the bug in my 20s because I'd always been a nature guy. Friday w- was always a religious day for me in terms of nature. Mm-hmm. It was the end of the week, no school. You could go and explore the garden when you got home. 
And then you had to be at home with the family on Friday. So Friday afternoons was like my religious nature day, I called it. And I got passionate about South Africa's flora because it was a huge escape at first. It was a way that I could detach myself from my family, from my friends, from school. It w- I was in my own world. It was like I'd, cre- I'd found this bubble and I was able to go into this bubble without it popping. Mm. So I kept feeding myself with that. That's what filled me up. So it was only natural that I just wanted more. You know, I just wanted more and more and more. So it filled me up and it still fills me up. So I haven't left it. Right, so <laughs> where, where, where did your first trip take you to? Okay. So I was, I got, you know, I got educated with the horticulture diploma, which meant I had to learn exotic plants. Mm. So I started with an exotic foundation, which gave me a kind of introduction to botany because you, you didn't really have to know what families these plants were in, but you'd have to know what these plants are and you'd have to find similarities and after working in a nursery in Johannesburg at one of Keith Kirsten's first nurseries, that's what introduced me to plants as a science because mm-hmm. you had to know botanical names. You had to sell them to clients. You had to uh, batch them. You had to, you know, you had to do everything. So that gave me the introduction. But to answer your question, indigenous plants only came much later. I thought it was something that was just a small little subject on the side and that I would conquer it and learn it within five years. I'd be South Africa's top dude knowing South Africa's flora and I don't even know a fifth. I've been doing it for 25 years. <laughs> so so when, f- when did the, the uh, Morris Minor come into it? Okay. So the Morris <laughs> Minor came into it because the Morris Minor taught me how to look after a car. Mm-hmm. And once I had the power of looking after my own car without relying on anybody, I had the power to go anywhere. So I thought, well, I'm going to take my car. It's really an economical option and I don't need to go fast. I only top speed on the car is 70 kilometers an hour, but you're not going to see anything if you do 70 kilometers an hour. You need to drop to about 50 or max 60. Mm. And then you can spot plants. If you, if you look for shapes and you look for textures and sizes, you can spot plants from the side of the road. And yeah, so to answer your question on it, uh, that was the first time that gave me the freedom to go anywhere. Before that, I was scouting around Gauteng, trying to save petrol, trying to see as much as I could because there was so much around Gauteng to see. And then from then I branched out and, and I kind of had to bring the reins in a bit because you can go wild. You can go wild. There's plants everywhere in this country. So, you know, there's places I still haven't been that I'm dying to go. And I keep going back to the same places because they're so interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you have to see Judd, you'd think, oh, he's such an innocuous guy. He looks like one of those little old men with the Morris Minor. He's just not wearing the cap. Um, but no, I mean, this is a person who I've met who has so many varied interests, including old gramophone records, um, stereoscopic pictures. That's a whole nother thing that we could do a, an entire story on. But the main focus has been being the Indiana Jones of the plant world. So on your travels, I mean, you did Joburg, you've done sort of surrounding Johannesburg, but you have also found plants that nobody else has seen before. Yeah. Where? Well, it was very exciting. <clears throat> I found a plant, well, I found this plant and I photographed it thinking that I just need to get a name at some stage. And it sat on my computer since 2011. And I only got wind of it in 2018 when I posted it out onto mm. the, the Facebook and somebody came back from overseas and said, my golly, this is the new species, the unidentified thing that we, that nobody can find ever again. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, they described it to me. And I said, well, that's pretty much what I found. Mm-hmm. 
and it was in a nature reserve in a national park. So I thought, well, it can't be new. I mean, I wasn't thinking this thing was going to be a new undescribed. Which, which, which national park? Uh, Namakwa. Namakwa oh, National Westland. Park. Okay. It was in the Namakwa National Park. And I, uh, I po- after posting the picture, I got told that um, several other people had found it. But their photos dated to 2015 and they couldn't refund the plant to press it. Because mm. if you can't refund the plant to press it, you can't describe the plant. So it remained elusive for three years to these other scientists. And when my, my photo was dated 2011, so it showed that I had seen it before all of them. Okay, so now on you're on this mission to go and find it. But, but before we get into that, yeah. what, what does it mean to describe a plant? Okay, uh, so it, when you find a new species or something that nobody's ever seen before or it's totally undescribed, it doesn't exist in the books and it doesn't exist in the living herbarium and it doesn't exist in the botanical institutes because it's not on paper, it's never been written about. Nobody's ever seen it before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's explorers have come and gone over hundreds of years. Scientists have gone up and down mountains. People are, are proclaiming land as national parks and still these new species are popping up. So once you get a new species, you have to describe it. You have to collect a, a part of it and press it. And mm. then you have to lodge it at the herbariums, which keep your live material pressed. And then uh, from there, you have to then write an article, which is peer reviewed by the scientists. So they will come after you and they will check uh, whether, you know, this is a legit species or you're just saying it's a special thing. Mm. And after that, you go down in the history books because every time the plant gets mentioned, you've got to have your name in brackets. So are you actually going to get to name it as well? I'm, I'm hoping. People have suggested names and everybody thought that I'd name it after myself, you know. No, call well, it, which, name uh, it after Treasure Hunt because you went on a Treasure Hunt and you found it. <laughs> treasure Huntius. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a wonderful one? <laughs> it's very unique. It's a, it's a pelagonium. Mm-hmm. So it's a very special thing and it has underground leaves. Okay, but now when you yeah. say Pelagonium, most people immediately think the things that you can buy in the, the garden centers, you know, your zonal Pelagoniums or Geraniums as people call them, yes. or even Geranium and Carnum, which is not actually a Pelagonium. But this is unlike, I mean, Pelagoniums, the ones that you find down in the Cape are completely different. And I, I mean, they even brought out a coin series of Pelagoniums that you find on Table Mountain. Wow. So, I mean, they are a very, very special kind of plant and not what most people would expect to see. So how on earth, if it has underground leaves and it hardly ever comes out, did you find it and how are you going to find it again? Well, that's the big question because I found it by total accident. I wasn't actually looking for new pelagoniums. <laughs> I just managed to see one. And what makes Namakulan so special is the plants are evolving to save water. So mm. this is a group. So pelagoniums, just to fill you out, is, is, is one group. Uh, which is the bulbous pelagoniums, they're in the group of geophytes. They're mm. called geophytic pelagoniums, which you cannot buy in the nurseries. They are wild plants that have evolved to save water. So they're turning bulbous. They're not like your pelagonium bush or your trailer or anything like mm. that. So this has learned how to harness its energy in the bulb for nine months of the year, and then it only flowers for a couple of weeks. Now, when the flower comes up, they're edible, so the buck will eat them as well. So there's a lot of factors in the dry area that that make this plant uh, I can understand why it was never discovered before mm. because it pretty much you'd have to either know what the leaf looks like or later on the flower. They don't, it doesn't leaf and flower at the same time even. And most of it is underground because it's learning how to stay away from the, the harsh aspects of mm. the environment in the desert. So is this where geotagging came in handy? 
Did you geotag it so you know where to <laughs> no, go back to? So now I've got to go back to the area. Yes, unfortunately I have a rough area of where it is. And other people have found other colonies, believe it or not, just on the outskirts of the National Park. Mm-hmm. So it's my job to now go and... Find the, out the distribution. What What is fascinating to me is it's not actually a, a South African entity which is funding you to go and find this. The money is coming from overseas, a grant yes. that you've been awarded, which is amazing. It's fantastic. It just shows that this country's wealth in plants should be generating cash. Mm from other countries to support what's happening here with our flora because we are so unique with our flora and it really does need support. So it's so great to to have a, 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 the International Geranium Society, for instance, funding me to go and find out more data. I mean, it's amazing that they, that they did that so that we can learn more about this plant. And of course, there's obviously a potential for people to grow it because they're always looking for new species to grow in collections mm-hmm. um, because they hybridize in pelagoniums like you can't believe. So this could have potential for that even, you, mm-hmm. you know, for them. Job creation so, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And tourism. Tourism is the way of bringing money from overseas into this country. That, that to me is the future. That and growing your own food. Yeah. That, that is it. And we have the sunshine. And I can only see land getting more valuable in South Africa because of that. So. Uh, is this the first time that you've found a plant that nobody else has seen before? No, I have found something else, but other people had seen it before. But uh, this is the first time I'd found anything that was so distinct that even the scientists can't point a finger and say, ah, no, it's just that. Oh, it's another th- version another of that. One of those. Or it's another one of those. This so is so distinct passe. with its <laughs> underground leaves yeah. and its red margin disc leaves. It's, it's an amazing looking thing that you just, you wouldn't even think it was a pelagonium. Yeah. That's how unique it is. But th- this is the thing. I mean, I sit there and the reason I've asked you so often to take us on walks is because we have no idea what we're looking for. We can walk past plants that nobody's ever seen before and we wouldn't even know it's there. Okay. Because yeah. so many plants are um, like hidden, as you said, they're underground or they look like stones or, I mean, you know, there's certain things I know that you have to look in certain courts areas. You'll find particular types of plants and you spend a lot of time in the Richtersfeld and Namakwa. Yes. Yes. The, the Northwestern Cape is one of my, is my favorite hotspots. Mm. What you've touched on with the courts and what you mentioned is, is our crust, our soil crusts in South Africa, particularly. Um, it's a lot of, there are a lot of factors, but our soil crusts are untouched. Mm. We've had no volcanoes, no earthquakes for billions of years. This earth has evolved and it is so fragile. It is on the crust that the plants have been given birth. They, they, they arise from this crust level. So the minute we pull a grader in or a mine or something and we grade the top of the crust, we are actually removing billions of years of this evolution that sustains this plant life. Mm. This is why it's so important to understand this as a fundamental because the this is the giver of why we have the best flora of the world. It, it's If we dig down, we're not going to find anything. There's mm. only minerals as you go down, but yeah, the plants the, are the on the surface. People would rather have diamonds than flowers, let's put it that way. I mean, if you're going to give a girlfriend something, is she going to be more impressed with flowers or a piece of shiny stone? <laughs> I mean, I'd be, well, I'd be I the one who'd be I, happy with flowers. I don't flowers. know because I don't have girlfriends in every corner, but I've got <laughs> plants in every single corner of the planet. But uh, yeah, to me, if we're talking the future of the world, tourism then we've got to look after our crust because that's why people would want to come here. People would want to come here for that because there's nothing more riveting than finding that in the wild. It's not like an animal in a game farm, Mm. which is fantastic, but it's like, 
the lines at the river, then everyone heads to the river and they see the line. This is no, you have to find this. And there are such specific niche habitats for these plants that they only occur on one hill and no other hill in the whole world. Mm. And especially the clan karoo, the clan karoo is like this. The clan karoo has got hundreds of little hills and people will say to me, ach, das netter anna jovelki, or that's just another hill mm. with the same stuff on. And it's not like it's that. It's got completely different stuff. You walk stuff. from one hill to another in the clan karoo, because it's such a rugged mountainous area, there are different plants on every single hill. And you're dealing with plants that come up throughout the year. The bulbous plants flower now. Mm. The succulents are early, April to May. The aloes are July. Uh, we're not going to get into our bees. Our mm. bees, why bees in Africa? They want all our bees. It's because they want our bees because our bees are so strong. But our bees are so strong because we have winter food. Yes. We have aloes in winter, not snow. Exactly. We, we, so you can't take our bee and stick it in your hive. You need to take our plants and plant your environments in America with our aloes, with our plants, so that you've got, and our mesums, those are the two big groups yes. for bees, mesums and aloes. You plant that in your country, then take our African bees, you'll have bees. Yes. They don't get it. They want to take the bees because we've got strong bees, but, but they don't they understand the right food, it's because yeah. of the flowers. Yeah. But and, and saying about the aloes, I mean, what I always remember when I first, I think it was one of the first times I met you and you'd been to the Richter's Felt and you were showing me pictures of how the quiver trees are being decimated, but not by human beings necessarily. Is it a, a product of global warming? Is it because there are more animals coming in? What, what kind of things are actually kind of really annihilating plants in the Richtersfeld? Okay. So, I mean, I'm not really qualified to answer this question in toto, but mm. my view on it based on my field experience over 25 years of seeing plants, how they evolve, how they are suited to their habitat, how something will flower because of even the fact that there's just a pollinator in the region. It doesn't matter about anything else. Even there's pollination models, other plants that look like other plants so that they can attract the pollinator. These are all survival strategies of plants in the wild. And global warming is part of the evolution of the planet. Yeah, On, it would be happening scale. regardless of us. I mean, we're, we're here, we're here, we're experiencing it because we're here at this stage, at this time on the planet. So there's definitely global warming. This is why I'm not really qualified to answer this question in toto. But the evolution of plants according to their natural habitat is, is evident more so than just global warming. So I think quiver trees that are dying off from mm. the heat and from whatever is definitely an impact but you'll find that the group then moves south. Mm. So suddenly the strong plants will now start growing towards southern Cape side rather than going north towards the Richtersfeld and into Namibia. Mm. So the whole pattern of this plant might shift because of the, the warming on the planet or whatever other factor it could be. So it's interesting to see how groups, you know, we, we do think that plants are set in their way and they only occur at that rock and at that GPS site, but they are moving. They are moving and the, in groups. I'm just having visions of these trees upping their roots and wandering off across the, the, the plains of Africa. What's that advert with the joint? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, I mean, sadly enough, there is the one area of South Africa I have not been up to is to the Rector's Felt and from Akharabis right through to Springbok. I haven't done that whole area. So any chance of us putting together some tours for people to come and do? I know we've, we've discussed this before in the past and I really, I mean, I keep on thinking we need to get people involved in this. We need to do farm stays that people we go and we take them around how keen are you on that Judd? wow um yeah that would be amazing actually no we're not going to be able I, to I, squeeze I, that many people into your morris minor though we'll have no, to get a coach no i don't really feel like going to your you know or 
any of those areas. They, they, they're boring. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't got a Morris Minor, those areas are boring. You're all right, so we're going to fleet of Morris Miners and we're going to take people around the country to go and check out all the plants. And, I mean, For I'm sure. So, I mean, if people want to find out what you're doing, do you have a website available that people can come and have a look at, um, find out more about you, about the plants that you're finding? Okay, I have one spot. I have a Facebook page with my name. Mm. I don't really need anything else. That is what I have. That is where I put my photos. That's where the whole world sees what's happening in yeah. South Africa. That's how I draw their attention to this country. So any other websites just going to be a waste of time for me. So if you need to get hold of me, you just need go to judge, get judge go Kirk straight Rollwich. away. Yeah. Contact me direct through Facebook. Facebook. And, and as he, I mean, this is a man who doesn't even have a TV because the way he sees it is the front windscreen of his Morris Minor is his windscreen. It even has a license. <laughs> it <laughs> has TV a license. license. Judd, thank you so much. And um, I wish you luck with finding the Pelagonium again. Just remember to geotag it this time. Okay, so you know exactly where yeah. it is. And uh, let us know how it's going and where you found it and send us the description so we can get it out to people as well. Okay. Right, that's it for this week. We'll be back again. Don't forget, you can find out more about uh, the show on Facebook as well. And uh, go to Mel's Treasures to find out more information about the show. We'll catch you again next time. Until then, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.